All right, welcome back to another episode of Talk Matters. This is episode 40. I've got a very dear, near, close friend of mine, Christopher Moody on, a.k.a. Crippy, a.k.a. Cheryl to us. Um, those are all a lot of inside jokes. How you doing, man? Doing well, as well as uh, we all can be at the moment. Yeah, yeah that's true. So today I brought Chris on because um, Chris brought a really good topic to my attention about um, like men's mental health, how it's been stigmatized throughout the years and how it's been changing and um, kind of where it is now. Um, so Chris and I met in high school through Brett, my, one of my best friend, um, and we've become very close friends ever since. Always open to having conversations no matter what it is, whether we're um, right in the mind or if we um, had a little few drinks, but uh, <clears throat> so Chris and I are always down typically, to conversations. Typically. What's that? Typically, there were drinks involved, yeah. Yeah. So um, kind of to start it off, we didn't have, I don't know if we had, we had some deep talks in high school, but I know when we, we went to Toledo together, <clears throat> we, there were nights where we would spend it in one room of like so we had all right let me back up we lived in a suite like in a dorm room so there was three rooms two per person so the total was total of six <clears throat> and all six of us would sit in one room throwing back drinks doing whatever sitting around and just talking about life and that was kind of like i don't i'm going to use the word loosely like our safe space because even then in like what 2011 2012 still kind of felt odd to as men to talk about our emotions like that and you know it was a nice space to let ourselves just feel what we were feeling like you know cry with no judgment and uh let out things that were um eating at us you know yeah it um I, and you described it exactly as i remember as far as we basically just gathered in that one room um typically drinks you know drinks weren't like necessary but it definitely helped um <laughs> just to eliminate some of the nerves yeah but it i do remember specifically just it was very clear that nothing is off the table as far as what could be said or topics discussed nothing was off the table and it also never left that room so it, it really was kind of a safe space of just like there's no judgment there's no um i mean it just a good opportunity to, like you said, get, get everything out in a, in a safe environment, but also just like pick each other's brains, let the other person know that, Hey, you're not alone, that sort of thing. And just for the group of friends that we had, that was our norm. And I didn't, I really didn't realize until many years later. And even because I think it was because my fiance, Rachel brought it up when I told her about, you know, that group that we had, and the things that we would do or the topics we would talk about, she was, her and, and another good friend, Shannon, uh, they were just both kind of surprised that they're like, that's kind of unheard of, you know, like that's, that doesn't, that's not a normal case, I think, for most men. And that's pretty unfortunate. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize in, until I heard from a woman that our group was an anomaly. Um, that is, that's an interesting <laughs> point of view. I didn't, I didn't know that. <clears throat> Well, it's just in the extremely grateful for what for what we all had because I mean it, it's 
you know, I'm not, I'm not one to me personally, I'm not going to say that I suffer from any sort of mental health issues nearly as much as any, like most, maybe most men, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not to say that I don't have, you know, my own issues or, or go through struggles and times, but I do remember specifically, I was going through a very rough time that year, um, in college. And because of the group that we had, that's what helped me got get to get through a lot of it. I mean, between, you know, our buddy getting shipped off to a high risk area in Iraq, my grandmother got diagnosed with brain cancer, you know, and she passed later that year. Um, hell, I remember you comforting me as I was crying when she did pass. You know, like, I, I, and I'm only, I'm only smiling because that's that's the memory I was thinking of too. I remember walking into your room, just walking over, just giving you a big hug and just telling you everything's going to be all right. Yeah, and uh, you know, but just a lot of things I remember it happened that year, and I was, I do remember just it, how much uh, energy I was kind of sucking out of the group because I was just so numb and depressed at that time, you know, and and. Thankfully, it was something that I was able to climb out of, you know, with, and it wasn't like a permanent thing or it's not like it, it's a um, necessarily a chemical imbalance, but more of just a situational depression uh, into Brett that I had more bad days than good. You know, there were plenty of times that just that I could tell the rest of y'all didn't really want to be around me, you know, as much, you know, that's how bad it got. But all that to say is it just, that's why I wanted to kind of talk specifically about the shift in our society of it's starting to become a little more accepted of men and just talk, men talking about their feelings to either other men or just other people, but just not being afraid to express some things, but they're not demonized for doing so or looked at like, Oh, you're a pussy or anything like that. So it, it, and a full disclaimer, um, when I bring up, because a really, really well thought out and put together book that sums up everything that we're probably going to be talking about is Traver Bohm's um, Man Uncivilized. And I saw that you, I, I brought you, I showed you his social media page and you're like, holy shit, I'm, I'm following this guy. Like he's, yeah. he's got a great message going on. Yeah. And, um, and I, I'm not, this is no paid endorsement for, he doesn't even know me. I got excited when he replied to me tagging him. In a oh, post. did he? Yeah. Um, so hopefully Traver, if you ever listen to this, you know, like your messages heard and being spread. Uh, I'll tag him in the post when this is put up. Oh yeah. But it's, um, it, it, his book, it's a very easy read and it's interesting. So what, I'm going to say this also on the podcast because it's going to be a form of accountability for me, but mine and Rachel's dear friend, Shannon, who such a wonderful person and beautiful soul. Uh, she actually was the one who told me that I should start and lead a men's group. And she thinks that that's something that I'd be good at. I, I had never thought about doing so, you know, but yeah. she thinks that, you know, to kind of, she even offered to buy like 10 copies of his book and that can be our like icebreaker and just a, just a good way to kind of set the tone. Um, so kind of starting off actually with a few things that I looked up the other day 
when I was preparing for this podcast was a few just kind of general facts, one of which is, I mean, they're scary ones, how men die by suicide over 3.5 times more often than women yeah. die by suicide. And then um, the 2016 report, white males accounted for seven out of 10 suicides. Mm-hmm. I think that, I believe that's in the U.S. Um, you know, like, I don't know if that's global or not, uh, but still, that it's a, it's a staggering number as far as, uh, as Traver puts it, you know, we're killing ourselves and we're killing each other. Yeah. And I don't know, uh, I don't have the statistic in front of me, but we do, we are, uh, we do have the most violent suicides. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, suicide in itself is a violent act, but men tend to have the most violent one because we have all of that pent up feelings and emotions that we cannot, we don't, we don't think that we're allowed to express and we we get too inside of our own head. I saw, I read a statistic before we had hopped on that a lot of the suicides are by firearm and I'm just, it's just incredible. It's, it's, that would, that would get messy, (laughs) but it's, um, I know you, you started to delve into your own copy of um, man uncivilized. Yeah. And uh, I thought he put it really well talking about the Marlboro man paradigm. Mm -hmm. And um, so for those listening and maybe not sure of what we're referencing, it's kind of like the 1950s, like men who were hard because they had to be. And just like, you know, your Clint Eastwood type of guy, or, you know, just like think of the toughest guy, you know, and just how they're going to be very stoic, you know, or very Spartan-esque. They're not really going to, they're not known for, you know, keeping emotions in check or just known for that sort of thing at all. And, you know, that was how things were versus kind of this new age, this sensitive new age, nice guy. Um, Snag. (laughs) Yeah. Snag is, is (laughs) is what they reference in the book. Sensitive new age. Yeah. Sensitive new age, nice guy kind of, but the, the, just the dichotomy between them and it seems like, you know, from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and just the pendulum shift, you know, because now it's like there's almost like a, a, I've seen so many articles about how, you know, men are becoming more pussies and they're becoming more, you know, just, just no backbones or no spines, you know, and just kind of like this more over, over correction, you know, so how do you feel about that? Talks a little bit about how. Oh. Well, that's how that's how society or what even politically, it's like it'll go. Typically, it'll be. It'll be like Democrats swing to Republican side, things that tend to overcorrect. I think that hopefully the paradigm will shift and kind of find some sort of middle ground, you know, or lose some momentum and not swing to the extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, really, that's what his old, like, uncivilized lifestyle is at its core is just finding the balance between, like, you need to be 
kind of like your own version of a badass, but also like, don't be afraid to be, you know, to tap into your feminine energy or however you want to put it. Um, but what, what's your opinion of like the Marlboro versus snag? So my opinion is <laughs> probably not going to be liked by people who listen to this. I think the Marlboro paradigm is absolutely dangerous. I understand that was a, there was a different time in the era where men were like, no, you need a man up, sec up, stop crying. You know, if you keep crying, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the belt and whip you. You know, you know, you need to be strong and you need to be a man, smoke a fucking cigarette, you know, like great. But <laughs> do you understand the mental health components that are behind that kind of attitude? Like, the idea that I'm not supposed to cry because I'm a man, the idea that I'm not supposed to feel a type of way because I'm a man is ridiculous. And, you know, I've been going, I'll admit, I've been going to therapy since I was like 11. I think I'm the best version of myself since I've been going to therapy because I've been through therapists who have taught me different um, coping skills. You know, I've, I, what, three years ago in 2017, I was having panic attacks like left and right. Cause I didn't know what was going on. I barely have any panic attacks because I go and see someone. I don't keep it bottled up anymore because I'm allowed to feel the way I'm supposed to feel, you know, and, and still to this day, like now granted, I will admit there are times where I still feel like I'm not supposed to feel this way and I can't do this, but I think there's still that social stigma, but I will sit here and encourage men to feel a certain way, to let them cry, to let them feel anything that they're supposed to. Um, but I still like to this day, if, if I'm crying, I can't look at anyone because I did, it does feel like a, a moment of weakness, but like, I know that's okay for me to feel a certain way. Um, so I, I personally think it's, it's dangerous, but like, it's actually interesting. The evolution of that, like you start off, like, let's say we go from like the 1950s with like a hard ass father that like works his tail to the bone and has his kids feel a certain way. Those kids kind of like, you know, he raises the kids the way they grow up. They might still have some similar feelings to that. And then they have kids and then there might, there's like a whole different era. It just keeps coming and coming. The next thing you know, you don't really have those, from my point of view, you don't really have those hard ass nose kids that are kind of like, you know, back to the fifties. It's just kind of how evolutionary we just kind of more, more and more that men talk about mental health. I think it starts to become, uh start we start to break the barrier yeah unfortunately society is really slow with that and I, and, and I do agree for the record that that marlboro man paradigm is dangerous i mean that's where a lot of the domestic violence would come in you know and just or violent just violence in general because we're the ones that are you know the mo most capable of it um and and a funny story actually i remember um because I kind of, you know, when you discover someone like Traver or John Wineland and just these other people that are kind of spreading this message, you kind of tend to go down a rabbit hole about them. You know, just like, oh, I got to look up more. I got to, you know, learn more. And Traver was talking about a workshop that he was at or some sort of seminar. And there was a female speaker. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase loosely or terribly. But he was saying how she was, she stopped mid sentence of whatever it was that she was talking about and says along the lines of, all right, men in the audience, like, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know how to get your woman to submit to you wholly and just, you know, be, do everything you want them to be and, and just 
kind of tap into that sort of sexuality or just, or just tap into that um, submit, submissiveness from women and just kind of like get the best sex you've had, get the best relationship. And, you know, he's like sweating. He's like, yes, fucking tell me. <laughs> and she pauses, obviously for a dramatic effect and says, the secret is to go home and get your shit together. Yeah. And, and she's like, cause women can smell that on you when you are out of integrity with yourself, with what, you know, with what you say you're going to do with, you know, just kind of how you carry yourself. But if you, you know, they, they can, they can sense when men are bullshitting of like, Oh, I want to get in better shape, but you never fucking go to the gym or, you know, what, or whatever the case is, you maybe complain about money of like, Oh, bills are tight, but you keep, you know, buying 24 packs, you know, and, and busting through those on the weekend, you know, things like that. It's like, you're, out of integrity with yourself and I, I thought that was a pretty funny one because um even I'll, I'll quote our friend Shannon because that and then because this does fit it's a they're just a different way to think about it but she said uh a good a good short summary would be woods campfire get your shit together you know just get together with some guys go out in the woods camp you know do something like that that's manly quote unquote yeah and just talk things out, get your shit together. And the whole world, you know, women including, but the whole world will be much better off, you know, if more men did that. So um, I'm glad that things are tending to be a little bit more of a shift away from the Marlboro man. Um, I do think that this whole like new age, nice guy, it's not as dangerous. It's not as violent, but it is, it's more boring. <laughs> Women don't get turned on by that. You know, like, and it just, it's, you don't want a watered down version of a man either. You don't want someone who just rolls over. So um, you think you want someone kind of in between? Yeah, no, there has to be the balance because the, it, in my opinion, the new age nice guy is, you know, I, I always hated hearing guys complain of like oh well why doesn't she like me like i'm a nice guy i treat her well i'm a nice guy why doesn't she like me okay you're nice but that's like you're asking for a reward for breathing you know (laughs) for for being for doing the bare minimum you know like oh yeah you held the door open for someone great you you shouldn't be doing that to you know then get get something out of it expect yeah intercourse from being yeah. for holding a door like yeah and it just i don't know we we it's not always like the new age nice guy that has that like sense of entitlement but it's just kind of you know don't get me started with the guys that will have this i don't know where it comes from but it has this mentality or expectation in their head of like as an example if you're at a bar and like a a guy will buy a drink for a girl and then he expects something in return of like, Oh, if I, if I'm going to buy you like four drinks and you hang out with me, well, and then she's like, well, you know, Hey, thanks, you know, for the, for the fun. And, you know, it was, it was enjoying, like, I'm going to, you know, and she goes to leave. It's like, well, wait, I thought you were, you know, it's like, you're expecting something from her. Like just because you bought some drinks. Yeah. Like, so it's just the, the complaint of that I hear from some guys of why doesn't she like me? I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what else do you bring to the table? Well, for me, when I hear guys say, especially if I know them really well, 
But I hear guys say, I'm a nice guy. I don't understand that. I want to be like, well, let's actually break down who you are as a person. You may think you're a nice guy. Look at the things you say. Look at the timing of the things that you say. Because a lot of times you say things that are way inappropriate during a not appropriate time. Um, the things you share online, completely inappropriate. Like, these are all things like, you can hold the door, you can say something nice to someone, but you really, that's not your whole personality. You have to look at like, who, who are you gonna be with them one-on-one? Not just for holding the door. I mean, kind of like, um, y- your, your actions come across as if you're a nice guy, but your intentions aren't truly yeah. genuine. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I know, I know people who are nice guys, but I also hear how they talk sometimes. And I think, you know, if you really wanna be that quote-unquote nice guy, Maybe you shouldn't talk like that, especially in front of women. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's, it, it just goes back to, like, you're being out of integrity with yourself. Yeah. You, you want um, that sort of respect or attention or for, you know, like, maybe you're trying to pursue someone and you want them to be able to reciprocate, you know, but look at your intentions of, you know, like, can you, can they smell the bullshit, you know, yeah. coming off of you? But it, so I think things need to... Uh, definitely find a little bit of a middle ground. Like it, it's, it's best if it's, you know, if you can tap into your masculine energy and feminine energy. And I know mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that earlier, but, and again, I'll, I'll reference if you, I know John Wyland talks about that before. So if you ever want someone to like refer to, I mean, there's, I wish I had a list of like the podcasts that I've been listening to. Um, even like Mark Groves, uh, he's a great one to listen to regarding like just men and feelings and, and um, therapy, et cetera. But um, just kind of tapping into like the masculine and feminine energy. And I like the way actually that, that Traver taught that kind of, that Traver listed them in his book, Man Uncivilized, where he says masculine is structure, leadership, grounding, just kind of very centered and still. And feminine energy is just like color and flavor and radiance and just like ever changing and whimsical. Like you, and that's regardless of whether or not it's coming from a man or a woman. Yeah. You know, so it's just different energy. So, cause you know, when you come across, you know, your, your woman who is like, you know, CEO or like high up in their company and she like gets shits done. That's her tapping into her masculine energy. And I know I've heard it before on many different places of like, I'll use her, this, this um, CEO, female CEO as an example, or just somebody higher up, you know, she's making decisions. She's calling the shots all day at work. She's using that masculine energy when she's at work. And because she's got that leadership and she's keeping the company or her department very grounded. But then when she goes home to her man, you know, speaking in heteronormative terms, if she goes home to her man, the last thing she wants to do is dictate that household too you know she wants to she wants to submit she wants to tap into her feminine energy you know and just you know he'll make the decisions he's taking care of shit um or just at least his own life so it's just that's why and i i think i've heard it before where it's like more successful women the the biggest thing that they want referring to like the bedroom is to just be dominated as all hell, you know, like they, they don't want to have to make any fucking decisions. They don't want to have to make any decisions. I just thought that was an interesting, you know, like just the balance between the energies of masculine and feminine. And it doesn't, you know, those terms don't really have like a specific gender to them. 
Mm-hmm. And it can come from anybody. Um, yeah, those were a few people that I'm just that I've kind of come across lately and have been kind of delving into uh, their message as well and just kind of learning more about that because you know I'll be honest it's it's a new topic for myself as well but you know using even myself as an example I think it's kind of funny where I can go from blasting slipknot and deadlifting you know getting ready for a powerlifting meet and or go to the go to the range and shoot guns and come home and throw down some bourbon but then I'll also like I love drinking some Prosecco with my fiance and we'll do a mask, you know, a facial mask thing and watch some chick flick. Like, I don't give a shit. Like I enjoy that just as much, you know, so or we'll do some yoga at home and, and, uh, yeah. And just that sort of, uh, yeah. Um, um, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I'll listen to like music where you can't even understand the lyrics. It's so heavy, but like, (laughs) <laughs> I love that. And it just, that puts me in a good mood. But then there's times I'm like, I'm blasting like Carly Rae Jepsen or like Taylor Swift. And like, and I was, and I always put it under a playlist of like guilty pleasure, but fuck that. I actually like that shit. Mm-hmm. But it's like in high school, when I would play something that had people singing instead of just screaming, people were like, what are you doing? Like turn this pussy shit off. I'm like, What? Like I'm allowed to listen to this. Good music, stuff. good music is good music. Yeah, yeah, but it's um, well, I did like so. I did like at least uh, a few rules that I don't know if you got to the part yet in uh, Man Uncivilized, like some of the rules that he kind of laid out. No, I be, so. well, so I mean, I mean, I'm saying rules loosely here. But um, I, I, I kind of jotted down or summarized a few of them for myself, uh, just some of my favorites. There's, there's more, um, and he goes into detail with each, but some of my favorites, at least, um, like referring to something like the range or going to the gym and working out. One of my favorites was be dangerous, but not a danger. You know, okay. consider, considering you're, like you said, not only are we committing suicide or we're responsible for a lot of the violent crimes you know it's just just all of that violence we're responsible and we're capable of it right so it's you want to be dangerous but not a danger and what i interpret that as is you know go to the gym exercise be physically fit at least in the sense of like you're at least working towards that you're at least challenging yourself physically in some way and that could be weightlifting it could be something more of like endurance training it could be you know doing jujitsu you know because hey i you know let's say guns aren't your thing that's fine like you don't you know being uh dangerous you're definitely dangerous with a gun but you're not a danger if you've trained with them you're familiar with it you know you're you know you're not a threat to anyone else you you have one just for sheer protection so you're, you could be dangerous, but you're not a danger. Same with, look, again, if guns aren't your thing, that's fine. It could be more of like, well, you're taking a martial art. You know, you know some self-defense because if, God forbid, you're out in public and you do need to use these skills. Um, my whole point is you don't, you want to challenge yourself in a way that you're no longer a victim of circumstance. I got you. Yeah. No one wants to be a victim. 
Yeah, be be dangerous, but not a danger. I like that one like a lot, and that that's you know one of the biggest points to take home for anyone listening. If you're not going to remember anything, remember that be dangerous, but not a danger. And whatever that means to you, pursue it. Um, I don't know what your if you had any other thoughts on that one. Um, yeah, I don't. I I like that, but I also think like kind of diving into that, like be what was it. Be a danger, or be be dangerous, but not a danger. Yeah. So my thinking is more of like, I, and I totally get that concept, but like, what triggers that person to being dangerous? It turning into a danger. Mm, easy. You know, easy, easy. Yeah, easy. Um, it would be. And like having the pent up frustrations and just being like being hurt, like not coming to turn, like, you know, you go to therapy to kind of get over things that maybe have hurt you in the past or, you know, just some scars or just different like baggage, you know, someone can go from, you know, being dangerous and not a danger to, well, suddenly now they are a danger to themselves or others. And that's because hurt people, will hurt other people you know if you're hurting internally kind of thing so that means you you don't have enough love or gratitude you know to give out so like that's what you know and that's a big message again is is the ultimate answer is love you know for for others and and love and respect really so because if you don't love your fellow man or at least respect them Mm -hmm. you know you don't you don't maybe you don't have to love them or like them but if you at least respect them well then you're less of a danger or you're, you're less likely to become a danger. Um, you know, that, barring you're not answering to like self-defense. For me, so, and, and I don't want this to be dark in any way. Like I, I'm fine and I, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, throughout the years, I was, I've been asked by people like, why don't you, why don't you want a gun? Why don't you want a gun? I'm like, one, I don't really need one. Like, I don't feel like I need one right now. I, that's mm-hmm. me. Uh Two, to be completely honest, I understand my mental health background and I understand that I'm susceptible to depression and I don't want to become a statistic because I have a firearm around. Not to say that's the only way you could do it, but, um, you know, because sometimes I can get in such a deep depression, I don't want to be around something that's readily available for me while I'm not thinking straight, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but it's, so that's the thing. I want people to check themselves when they when they get this stuff. Like, I want them to understand. Like, are you susceptible to a very deep depression? Do you have mood swings? Are you bipolar, schizophrenic? Like, really dive into your mental health before you start purchasing these stuff. This stuff. So there is not a homicide. There's no mass murder. There's no suicide. You know, and that's that's where I've always drawn the line. Of of course, I'd love going to the range and shooting and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but. I won't own one just out of my own. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suicidal, but there are mm-hmm. ideations because of depression and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that doesn't exist. You're not, you're not going to allow yourself to be put in that scenario. And that makes total sense. Right. You know, Cause it, and, um, you know, I could, I could go down as far as like a rabbit hole, at least, you know, politically speaking and, you know, um, you know, which side of this fence, 
to tackle things from, or at least my thought or my suggestions, but that's, you know, that'll be a different topic for another day if that's the case. Um, but it's, but I agree as far as what that, cause that's you being within integrity of yourself, you know, yourself, you know, you're not, I, you know what, I'd rather not create the perfect storm, you know, or create right. that sort of a scenario where that could become a reality. So, and it, make, it makes, it makes total sense. And I'm like, I, yeah, it's, I'm not a, I'm not of the mind that everyone needs to own something for self-defense. <laughs> that is not my case. Cause if someone's like, Hey, I don't feel like I need one. I'm like, great. Then don't get one. You know, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, just, just again, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to stop there as far as uh, I could go down a political rabbit hole, but <laughs> we could have uh, that conversation another time. Yeah. But it's, it, I, in my opinion, it's just the people who, you know, like hurt, hurt men are the ones who are toxic. You know, we, we hear about this like toxic masculinity and, and this, that, and the other, but I'm like, no, it, you're not really going to use in a term for what it is as far as masculine masculinity or masculine energy, because that can, again, that can come from anyone. It doesn't just come from men. So it's, it's just that people who men specifically, if you're identifying it as such, if you're hurt, then that's what could lead to some sort of toxic behavior. You know, that that's what leads to the, alcoholism the violence the abuse of other things you know just the sheer neglect of yourself is because there's something within you that's still hurting you know maybe you you're not at peace with who you are you know it's something like that something deep down that you know i i obviously can't work out but it's like go see someone go talk to someone go get therapy go get a you know a brain scan i remember hearing about um I was listening to a podcast. I, I think it was an armchair expert where they, they were talking about how maybe it was an armchair. I can't recall, but they were talking, it was, a. I think it was a psychiatrist that was trying to be a little bit on the new age of like, he was doing a study that was scanning a lot of people's brains and trying to map things out. And it, he, I just thought it was so interesting. He made a good point of like, you know, if you, if you're, if your knee hurts and you go to the doctor, they're going to take a look at internally at your knee. Well, is yeah. it like they're going to take an MRI? They're going to take an x-ray? You know, like they'll take some things probably if you have something structurally wrong. But then let's say it's not a, like a structural issue, but you have a mental health issue. Why are we not doing more brain scans as far as like, you know, soon into maybe you're going to therapy for a while and just you try this pharmaceutical or you try, they've tried to prescribe this. Well, that's just a guessing game. I mean, he, he actually oh, talked yeah. specifically about, yeah, I, I, and I know this hits home for you too, but he talked specifically about how try this drug. Oh, that takes about a month to kick in. Oh, but it turns out it was the wrong one. Maybe because of misdiagnosis or it's just, it just didn't work. It didn't help your scenario. Maybe it made it worse. Let's try this one. Well, now you have to wean off of that one. And then this other one takes forever to kick in too, you know, to, to really take effect. You know, it's why are people not, you know, Hey, go see, go to this, you know, clinic, get, get a scan done. Oh, you're low in this neuroreceptor or you're low in that. Okay. Well now I know exactly what you need to be on. Like, why are we not streamlining that as just a part of the regular process? I, but I know, 
I know you have experience with that. I'm right there with you, and I completely agree. I wish we had better resources. I don't know if it's necessarily that easy to just kind of do like a brain scan. I don't know too much about that, but the mental health diagnosis stuff is very hard. I mean, look, I have I have the DSM-5 right here. When I was going through, um, all right, so quick backstory, my personal story, I was having a really bad panic attack one day, and I just happened to be at my doctor's office, and she's like, well, the anxiety, let's change your anxiety meds. I was like, fine. She gave me Zoloft. Now, Zoloft, I have my personal opinions about Zoloft. I'm not going to go into it. Zoloft sent me into a tailspin of different mood swings for like four days, and I went back to her. And she goes, well, I think you might be bipolar. And I was like, that, what? She goes, well, I want you to call this place and go get yourself, you know, evaluated. And I went there and got evaluated, blah, blah, blah. I spent six days in a hospital getting evaluated, taking bipolar medication to, ter- to find out I'm not bipolar. Mm-hmm. I always just had a bad reaction to a different medication. And so that's the biggest thing with these pharmaceuticals is like, you're basically a lab rat until they find something that can help you. I swear to you, ever since I stopped taking that medicine and when I came out of that place, I've been right back to myself with no mood swings, no levels of anxiety. Like, I mean, there's some anxiety, but, you know, not, not to the extent of where I was yeah. uh, at taking that medication. So, but in the midst of before I entered my, voluntarily entered myself into the hospital, I'm looking through the DSM-5 I'm going bipolar type two and a nervous breakdown are pretty close to each other. Maybe I'm just having a nervous breakdown. So that's the thing. There's no, there's no really exact science and that's so scary. Well, and what's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is much more up your alley. A lot of what's in the DSM five, it, it's not so clear cut. And you're, these are all based off of observations and behaviors and traits yeah. And I mean, like, it, do they get into more detail? Do they get into more detail in the DSM-5 about, well, if this is your diagnosis, you're likely to be low in this neuroreceptor, you know, or like, it is, do they get that scientific with it as far as biological and physiological responses? Do you want, do you want to know how they, they, you want to know how they test me at that place for bipolar type two? Please. I sat in a room with a doctor and I told them I was having mood swings. I felt like I wanted to throw my coffee table off the roof. I have a history of substance with alcohol, which I've, you know, I, I've been sober for three years now. Uh, and uh, mood swings, like, well, yeah, that definitely sounds like bipolar type two. And I was like, that's, that's how you're gonna test me? And they're just like, yeah. Like that was the testing. They just asked me a series of questions and that there's a, there's a little bit of history of bipolar in my family, but that was it. That was all the extent of, and then they just started pushing pills. And it, that is, it's unfortunate that that is, is extensive as they'll get, or, you know, cause somebody who could be a little bit more of a hypochondriac of like, you know, if you read about it, you're like, Oh, that sounds like me, you know, then that's a dangerous game you're playing with when it, when pharmaceuticals are involved. And unfortunately, I, I have a certain opinion of just about pharmaceutical industries in this company in yeah. general. And again, that could be a whole nother podcast by itself right. between pharmaceuticals, insurance, um, and, and just a, a whole issue of like, who's going to give first 
you know, because there, there's a little circle of all of them sucking each other off and at, you know, our <laughs> expense. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a dangerous game with it. I mean, yeah. It's just a, it's a dangerous game when it comes to that sort of mental health. And it's not something that, I, again, I know societally there's a slow shift in what we're considering acceptable as far as like, well, just because you can't see the damage doesn't mean it's not real. You know, I, right. I know that's one of the mental health, mm-hmm. you know, um, defenses. And, and it's very valid, but it's like, well, why, again, why are we not funneling more into research of like, well, how can we quantitatively measure this instead of just a qualitative you know you could be talking to a doctor and that's their opinion well you can go and get other opinions you know but that's still that's a that's a qualitative that's that you can't measure that right you know so it's it's if if, you know i broke my tibia and fibula in high school pole vaulting that's where crippy nickname came from yeah uh for those listening so i'm crutching through two and a half months but you know if you you took a scan of my leg, which is pointing in a different direction, <laughs> halfway down his shin. Uh, it's pointing in a different direction. If you really wanted, you could measure the degree that I fractured it. You know, like what angle is my bone sticking out where it's not supposed to? Okay, well, then there's a clear issue there. And right. it's, you can measure that. So why can't I, you know, there needs to be more of a integration in the diagnoses of mental health with actual physiological measurements and and i understand that could be an expensive process you know but you know what our government has a real big spending problem anyway so why don't we funnel it into that shit i don't know that's that's a a really good question but i will say um when i when i had left the uh hospital i was still taking this medication for bipolar because i was still convinced i was not in the right mind that i i was and mm-hmm. I kid you not, I was having the worst mood swings on this. I would sit there and just fall over to the ground, just start crying, sobbing for 10 minutes. I had no idea why I was sobbing. You know, my parents took myself and like a, we took like a little mini family vacation to Top Sill, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, screw it. I said, mom. I'm convinced I'm not bipolar. I think this is just a really bad reaction to the medication. I know this is not the right thing, but I'm going to stop. And mm-hmm. she had her full she gave me full support. I withdrew off that medication for seven days. Seven days of nonstop just sweating, curled up in a bed, um, hoping that I didn't die from this thing because I was reading. I was like, what, what is happening to me? So I did some research. And the, the medication that I was on, and it says if you stop, there are, um, if you stop without weaning yourself off, there are, you could run into potentially having seizures. Um, there are um, people, I read people's testimonies that quit cold turkey and they're like, yeah, I've had sweats and I could, like, sleep was hard and all this stuff. Every single thing that was going through the list, I was experiencing and it was just an absolute nightmare. And it always peaked at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon and I would have to, like, sit in like a lukewarm bath and just kind of relax and put like a towel over my head. Cause I mean, the sweat was just absolutely disgusting. And right then and there, that's when I swore off all sort of pharmaceuticals for any sort of mental health. And all I've been doing is a lot of extensive therapy um, and just using a lot of coping skills that I've learned from therapy. Just the pharmaceuticals 
it works for some people, but I, I, I'm done being a lab rat just to make sure that, you know, mm -hmm. people can push this medication. It, it kick back and higher profits and things. And I was going to say, actually, I tried to tune in when I could, when, um, you know, during quarantine, you started that, you know, meditation on Instagram, your Instagram live, you know, we'd do that and just meditate like first thing in the But not many people do that or commit to a thing like that. You know, just like I'm going to meditate and work on my mental clarity for 30 minutes, you know, at the start of the day, every day, like that's, that was impressive to me. And yeah. I know Megan, our friend Megan really enjoyed that. Um, and speaking of her, I, I hope, I hope I'm uh, convincing her to come onto your show as well, because uh, and I, and I don't want to speak for her, but she's got quite the ex experience of pharmaceuticals fucking up her body. Yeah. And now I, she can correct me if uh, I'm wrong, but I, last night I checked, she's not on any anymore at all after her condition that is still like, it's a chronic thing and she's doing better off of yeah. them because of other things. So and I know you were doing the meditation for your, uh, I know you've been getting more into, is it yoga or other exercise? I mean, what have you been doing as far as your uh, coping? As far as my coping? Mm -hmm. um, so I've been doing a lot of, I kind of stopped with the meditating for a little bit. Um, a lot of it has been just like keeping myself distracted, trying to find things to do around the apartment, uh, still working out every now and then at home. It's, it's weird. Cause you like, you still don't, there's a, such a huge difference between like working out here and then working out at a gym, you know, like oh, yeah. there's more motivation at the gym to be, to keep going. And here it's just like, ah, I'm in my apartment, whatever. Um, Honestly, something that's big for me that I've been using for, I think, over a year now is CBD. So mm -hmm. CBD definitely helps with, like, anxiety. Like, if I'm sitting here kind of anxious, I'll, I'll have, like, a take some drops or, like, a CBD mint, and within, like, five or ten minutes, I'm starting to feel better. Like, But I don't use that as, like, a crutch. I, I, I try to use a lot of my coping skills and stuff like that before I end up doing anything like CBD or mm – -hmm. uh, but I don't know. I've been trying to read a lot more lately. Um, and podcasting has definitely helped. Like just like thinking about who to DM and what I want to talk about has kept my mind so far away from my mental health, like in a good way. It's keep, it's keeping me occupied to like, you know, reach out to people and want to interview people and keep creating the show because I just feel like I've got that drive again from when I did when I first started the podcast. So good. Well, and that, because for you, it's, it's a creative outlet. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think just about everyone needs, you know, rather than just going through like, you know, maybe a, a mundane routine, you know, like, well, what else are, again, and this kind of ties back to not just being a nice guy, you know, or like, what else do you bring to the table? Well, what are you building? Like, what is your mission? Kind of like, yeah, you don't have to get as big as like, well, what's your purpose on this earth? Like, yeah, if you found that great. You know, like you're miles ahead of myself and many others, but it's just more of like, well, what, and it doesn't even have to be that monumental. 
monumental. It, it can just be, what are you building? What are, you know, something bigger than, bigger than whatever is kind of hurt you, you know, in the past mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, because that, that's kind of what'll keep you going, especially when, you know, life in general can just kind of throw curveballs or, or just keep knocking you down. That's inevitable, such as COVID as an example. COVID-19, I mean, that's, that's throwing a lot of people through a loop and a lot of things are a lot of uh, uncertainty. But if, you know, if you're, as an example, you're doing this podcast, you're creating something, it's a creative outlet, you're trying to get some useful topics out there to people. And that's, and that's going to happen whether we're all quarantined or not. You know, it's like, we're going to, you're, you're, what you're working on building is bigger than whatever is going on for mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and that's, I, th- I just think it's important to kind of stick to that. I agree. Um, I agree wholeheartedly, especially, um, you know, me not trying to dive too much into my personal business, but you know, when you have people who are, I mean, yes, it's, it's throwing, this whole thing is throwing everyone for a loop. And I know we didn't really want to talk about too much, but, um, you know, now you got people who are addicts and recovering and stuff like that who are back in isolation where mm-hmm. that's where isol- it started was because of isolation. And, you know, so it's, it's very tough to sit here and think that there are people who are struggling in all shapes and all shapes and forms, uh, you know, whether it be a financially uh, health wise and stuff like that. But when I think about people who are in recovery you know, they have to have like online AA and stuff like that. And <clears throat> that's, that's tough because I know people like to go to those meetings and be in person and I get that. Um, but I can't, I can't even really imagine what the, uh, that isolate, like actually I can kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I, was kinda, gonna say it's, it's, I can kind of understand it, but that isolation is definitely not um, a good thing to have. So having this creative outlet is definitely helped with uh, not feeling, mm-hmm isolated so much yeah i think it's it's definitely not good as far as like a long-term thing or and again it's it's that could be another topic that i could slip into is just as far as uh you know i i really truly believe that this was like one of those necessary evils you know to in in response to something um you know but kind of weighing the pros and the cons, you know, like, or, or weighing a lot of the, the challenges that arise as a result that no one could have foreseen, you know, whether it's, you know, like, sure, we flatten the curve and the number of lives that that has saved, you can't measure, you know, so like, I'm, and I'm all for it, you know, like, I'm, I was still thankfully going into work, um, you know, we're still practicing all the guide suggest, suggestions and guidelines as far as uh, sanitation and for those who do still go into work, you know, and, and yet so many other people were laid off. So financially, I was okay. My schedule didn't change a lot. You know, I, I didn't want to get too much into COVID, at least personally, because I can't speak on this. You know, I don't have kids. So I'm not trying to homeschool them while still go to work, while still, you know, like, you can, the people that I do know that are trying to balance so much and the leaders who just kind of tyrannically force things onto us, 
you know, it's, and all for the sake of a crisis, you know, which again, it, it's real, it's very real. And I get that, you know, but to what length, because the curve flattens, the number of uh, diagnoses go down, you know, I'm assuming since we're not assuming, but there was some sort of uh, result as far as like isolation and distancing, you know, but at, at what cost? Because you hear about the domestic violence going through the roof, abuse going through the roof, you know, suicides. I mean, I mean, I would be really interested to see what were our annual or, or even weekly or daily, like what, what number of Americans, if you want to tie it to just here in North America, what, how many suicides were there daily mm -hmm. prior to COVID? Right. And then during isolation, what happened to that number? I'd be really curious to see because sure it spiked. Yeah. I mean, because maybe we saved, you know, a few tens of thousands of lives from flattening the curve, but how many tens of thousands of lives do we lose, you know, more over compared to the norm when it comes to suicides? Yeah. You know, like it, you know, and this is why it's a topic of, you know, well, we can talk about COVID and, and speculate, but you know, that topic has just been beaten to death. So something that doesn't get talked about is, well, the number of deaths just from sheer suicide and just all like the, the emotional trauma that everyone's carrying around and has no safe outlet for and results in suicide to, you know, or the number of deaths from starvation and homelessness to the number of, I mean, I, I, I could go on as far as like other, the number of yeah, deaths from, from diseases that result from obesity you know, like that no one wants to talk about that of like, well, you, you don't move enough and you, you know, you eat too much and that'll eventually lead to metabolic disorders. And again, this is my area since I'm an exercise physiologist and I see plenty of people that it's like, this was, this is preventable. It's reversible. The number of deaths that are like early deaths that are attributed to a lack of just taking care of yourself is insane, but no one wants to talk about it because that takes accountability. No one likes to be checked like that. Yeah. You know, my, myself included, like, I mean, it, it, it takes a little bit of, it, it takes a humble person to be like, yeah, you know what, you know, you're right. I shouldn't have done this or, or I'm out of integrity here. Like when someone calls you out, mm -hmm. you know, on something, it doesn't feel good, you know, but you know, if it's for the better and if it's, you know, you actually respond to that uh, and it's a turning point for you, then you're much better off for it. But it's just no one wants to kind of talk about those other other ways that people are dying because it's not as exciting. It's not like a threat that was external that we have to fight, you know, create some sort of narrative of, uh, what whatever your thoughts are on that, I'm gonna rant otherwise. <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, not at least right now. Right now, I don't have too many thoughts of that. I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, we do have a lot of. Like, I understand this is a this is a virus, this is a germ that's been going around, and it's it's killing people. And, and I understand we we do have a lot of other things that are contributing factors to dying that is not just the virus that we need to take care of but um it is interesting to see that we don't take at least on my end it seems like 
I feel like we don't take that other, we don't really take the other stuff into consideration all the time. Um, all the other deaths, the illnesses you were just talking about. Um, but I wanted to touch on, cause we got, I got about 10 more minutes. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so one of the things we're, we're going back to men and mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've been really impressed with lately is, uh, the process of getting to therapy. I've, uh, I've had conversations with people out of the blue. I'll be with someone and someone goes, you've been in therapy before, right? I said, yeah. What's it like? And I sit there and go, it's someone who doesn't know you and just listens to your story and gives you a different perspective of someone who's not going to judge you. And they have these skills to teach you on how to cope X, Y, and Z. And they have this extensive mental health background. Um, a few days later, I get a text or a call. Hey, I went to therapy and it's great. You know, like, mm-hmm. so like starting that conversation to me, that warms my heart. When I hear men ask me for advice about what is, what is therapy like? And then they go and try it and then they come back to me with, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad I started talking to someone. Like I, it just makes me so proud to people. I feel like it takes a lot of courage. And I'm, I'm so proud of people for taking that step to at least go see someone, even as if it's just for a session, just to feel it out. Like, I just always encourage people to just go and just try it. Yeah, because in and that's the thing is that it doesn't have to be. It can be whatever you want it to be, and 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 you're right because they these people they're going to have the skills and to teach you some things. It's like you're going to go to a doctor for a checkup. You know, anyway, a physical checkup, you know, it's like, it would make sense just to go and get your mind checked out every so often, you know, right. like, Hey, are you in a good place? I mean, that's why, I mean, whenever we had our, our bro talks as we call them back in college, those happen probably what, at least every other month. Yeah. Something you know, like- it was, yeah. It wasn't like we're going to group therapy every week. You know, it didn't have to be that, but it was, I remember there were different times of like, there was whatever you want to call it, some sort of vibe going on and we could all feel it of like, okay, something's going on. That's not being said. We should have a bro talk session. Yeah. And, and a lot of shit would just come out. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. I don't mean to interrupt, but I remember there were times where it's just like the air felt tight. Mm -hmm. It's kind of around like, we have a bro night. We have a bro night. Next thing you know, we're in someone's room. Just be like, look, this, this, and this, and everyone's just kind of breaking down where they're at and uh i'm sorry keep going keep going yeah but well um so not not just it, it can be whatever it is that you want it to be regarding therapy or, and and not only do that you know they they it's coming from a professional perspective yeah so that's you know it's, it's a big difference between somebody who is your friend trying to give you advice you know like it it is worth it you know monetarily to go and talk to somebody professionally because like you said they don't know you or your life. It is a, it's an unbiased opinion. I've, I've told other friends when they're like, Hey, you know, can I talk to you about this? Or I'm having some troubles with, you know, my significant other. And it's like, look, I can try to tell you my perspective, but I, and I'll be honest when I tell, I've told them before a mutual friend of, Hey, I think you need to get into like therapy or couples therapy because I can say what I think, but I know that I'm going to be biased. And I know that what you're going through is going to be beyond what I can help with. So you should probably go see someone. And, it's, and that kind of helps to segue in as far as like my experience 
with therapy um, is, you know, my fiance, Rachel and I, we've, we've gone to couples therapy. And I remember when I've, and we're going to be continuing, we've kind of took, taken a little bit of a break uh, for a little while, especially, you know, since I know people are doing like virtual sessions, but that's just not something that we have looked into recently. But we went to more than a few uh, couples therapy sessions. And I remember when I mentioned that to another, you know, a mutual friend, they even asked, they're like, wait, why? What's, I thought you were doing well. Like, what's wrong? I'm like, well, no, no, that's exactly it. We're going because things are good and we want things to stay that way. Yeah. You know, I want to learn some, at the very least, communication tools right. you know, that, that you can then take and apply. And, or at least it, it at least creates a safe space not just for you to talk about your feelings, but you know, it creates a safe space for you to discuss things. And, and when I say discuss, I mean like, it's not like the door shuts and she's just gonna go off on you of like, I hate it when you do this and you never do that. Like, that's not what happens. You know, it's, it's I, don't, I don't know why other than maybe this inherited guilt or this inherited uh, trauma that, we as men might have from prior generations of like what's keeping you as a man from going to therapy, whether it's on your own or with your significant other, what are you so afraid of? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, you're afraid of getting called out. You're yeah. afraid of having to actually rise up and be better. You're afraid of, you know, kind of just taking a really good look in the mirror and being like, wow, I am better than this. And I, I can be, I, I should be. So I need to make some drastic changes. You know, if, if that's the case, you, you word that however you want. But couples therapy is not, you know, you just getting berated or you're arguing and someone's like, you know, whoa, 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 slow down. You know, it's not that. It, it is some pretty good perspective, you know, assuming you find someone that fits you. And by all means, when it comes to therapy, which I think you had a guest on, I'm trying to remember his name, where he even said, like you should shop around, like try to find someone that fits you. Yeah. And um, it, it's not like you, we, we shopped around a little bit online and kind of read different bios and read, I'm like, Oh, this person seems like they'd be a good fit. You know, it's um, our, our first couple of therapists, you know, helped us get through what we needed to kind of get through at the time. Um, you know, again, it's not like we were doing well. It's not like we were on the brink of anything. That's unfortunately too many couples wait until, you know, you, you're hanging by a thread before right. it's like, okay, we need to, we need to go to counseling. It's like, well, why, why does it take that? Why can't you go just be like, Hey, things are good, but we want to make sure they stay that way. So here's some things we wanted to kind of just talk about and discuss and maybe get a professional opinion on. Well, and yeah, so, you're going to get someone who's going to give you the tools and trades when you run into those roadblocks mm -hmm. you know, down the line, you know, and, and this goes with anything. I'm a firm believer in prevention, not cure, right? Ben Franklin talked about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's, uh -huh. you know, physically in your health, it could also be like, hey, you know, instead of trying to cure, quote unquote, cure or fix your relationship, how about you just kind of take the preventative measures to make sure it's not a shit show to begin with, right. you know, or make sure you kind of keep it from, from going down that path, at least to the best of your ability. You know, and um, 
so not only are my fiance and I, we've gone, we have gone and are going to continue to go to couples counseling. Uh, again, just as preventative, you know, it's, I, and I say that over and over because I'm trying to get rid of that stigma or the taboo of, oh, you're going to therapy. That must mean that, you know, something's wrong between you right. two or, or you're on the brinks. It's like, no. Um, but also even, I know I've talked about like the, um, the group sessions that I had experience um, attending when I was later in college, when my dad was getting sober, you know, and, and which, you know, he's, gosh, he's been sober since 2013, 2012, awesome. 2013. Fuck yeah. And um, I mean, to, like totally different person. Things are totally different relationship. Again, that could be a different podcast, but not to get too much into like my own, um, my own things there or get too personal, but it, it was really empowering and, and it was powerful. The sort of like family and group sessions that we have with that social worker who God bless his soul because he was phenomenal. And that's because he was the son of an addict. He was an addict himself and his daughter was an addict. So he's wow. been in literally every single seat possible and has every single perspective and he was great i mean we had sessions where you know the you know other family members of the addicts were there and you know i don't know these people it doesn't matter i can say whatever the hell i want you know or just be open with my thoughts mm -hmm. you know because it, it doesn't matter i don't know them i'm not gonna i'm, I'm probably never gonna see him again after these sessions but we would have sessions where the addict would be in the room and other sessions where they wouldn't be, you know, so that was, um, that was, you know, some other experience that I've had regarding group sessions or just therapy in general, as far as like tapping into your feelings, because there were definitely obviously sometimes where I would get emotional more. So my experience with that was because I was trying to be strong for someone else when they needed me to be, mm -hmm. you know, so it was, uh, I mean, those, those were just some of the experiences that I've had with therapy kind of because even it was called into question a little bit about me, you know, going to counseling. It was like, well, should I get a therapist myself first, but, you know, depending on, you know, before we go as a couple, and it's like, well, I think, you know, between my experience of the group sessions that I had when my dad was in rehab and got sober and the type of, cause it really in a way was like group therapy when we had our bro talks in college. I'm like, yeah. look, I have no problem kind of, sh you know, shedding some of this stuff or, or saying things that, you know, at least regarding couples therapy, the one thing that to be careful of is like, you know, once it's something can't really take it back. So you do kind of have to be careful with like, well, how are you presenting some information or, you know, things that you, things that you say, maybe you, some things are better off in a one-on-one -on -one session, you know, with someone else. Um, but, but anyway, that's, that's my advocacy of not just, Hey, men, you should go see a therapist probably, but also, Hey, if you're in a relationship, um, I don't care if it's good or bad, maybe it would be good to, you know, seek out a good couples counselor or marriage therapist or whatever, and see them just every so often. It could be once a month. It could be once a quarter. You know, just it's great to check in. You know, because yeah. th things start will go downhill when you stop checking in with your significant other. 
Right. So, and it, and that's something that, again, I could talk about regarding my fiance and I, because we have a lot of, we have a lot of check-ins. We have a lot of good open communication, um, you know, and, and yeah, we've learned a lot, even just from the sessions that we have gone to, and I'm thankful for those, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was any other like parting thoughts, because I know we're just about to, Time. Oh, another person looking to Dan Savage. <laughs> looking at him. I'm going to call out just a bunch of people and I'm like, hey, tune into these people because uh, they're spreading some good messages. But um, John Weinman, Dan Savage, uh, a lot of different experts. Oh, um, the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman. Look them up. That is fabulous. That's something that we're actually working on is reading their book called Eight Dates. Um, but okay. just kind of don't. And, and Mark Groves, he's got a good podcast on this. Um, but just, and, and now since you're spreading more of like this talk matters, it's just the overall message is like men need to do better as far as finding healthy coping mechanisms, you know, for, for any trauma or damage that they've experienced and just don't, don't swing too far one way or the other. You don't have to be this like manly man, you know, smoke cigars and I hunt and I do all this stuff. Right. And and not be able to like, hey, write poetry, you know, or do something that, you know, is a little bit in the middle of the spectrum. Like you can be both, you can be whatever the hell you want to be right. in that sense, but you don't have to just stick to some sort of uh, identity or facade that is tough guy or a sensitive, you know, I'm in tune with my feelings kind of, you know, like find the balance i think really everyone should find the balance I and that's that, that kind of sums it up as, as best as i can and, and if and if you're struggling to find the balance then that means you need probably need to talk to other people and get and get other perspectives and get help as far as just to, just a nudge in the right direction right and i'm glad i think i would like to think that we're getting better at not men in general but just like pe people in general are getting better at opening up a little bit more than we used to and uh mm -hmm. well uh, and not only are they doing it but they're not being demonized for doing so right you know like it you can open up and without the backlash yeah i just uh there needs to be a better way to end a lot of stigmas around mental health in general what well, it is that I think part of it, at least a good, um, a good step in the right direction, a good first step, in my opinion, is maybe just talk to people that are close to you that will call you out when they need to and ask them, Hey, where am I out of integrity? Where do you know, where do you see my, what, what shortcomings do I have that you can see that I need to work on, mm -hmm. you know, just to be a better person. Because if you have those people in your life, and they tell you that's a great perspective and that's a great, okay, now I know what I need to work on. If you don't have those people, I mean, just do a good, good deep gut check or maybe try to work on fostering those sort of relationships so that you do have someone that to confide in or go to therapy, you know, and get, you know, and, and after, after a while, I'm sure they could tell you what you need to work on. Um, right. But it, it, figure out where you're out of integrity and fix that. And I think that's going to be a really good step in the right direction as far as just your personal healing being less of a threat to others and being able to find that delicate balance. 
I agree. Chris, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to do this, man. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm definitely going to have to have you back on again. I always love our conversations, and I always love listening to uh, your thoughts. One of these days that when we record again, um, we definitely need to just hit record, go at it for a few hours, see what we get out of it, because uh, oh, we, we, we could always talk for a while. So hopefully um, – and hopefully the next time it will be in person, you know, like a – I still love seeing your beautiful face, so but it's, it's I, not the same. I'm trying my hardest, man. I'm trying my hardest planning right now to come to North Carolina mm. within this month, maybe even next. Just, yeah. Um, let me know because I know my, um, I've got family coming down in June, but just, you know, we can definitely coordinate something. But uh, this is perfect time and I'm going to get off to dinner. But uh, I really appreciate you having me on and I look forward to next time. All right, man. Thanks so much. This has been another episode of Talk Matters. Chris, I love you, my man. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later, okay? Take care, brother.